Hello, I'm Jameis. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here with us today for episode 27 of Your New Favorite Word. We're just going to jump right in and ask Jameis, what's your new favorite word this week? All right, so I was following a few linguistic trails this week, looking for something interesting to share, and stumbled across a fascinating book from the 1670s. Wow. Titled, A Collection of English Words Not Generally Used. (laughs) By John Ray. So it's like rare words that were rare at that time? So it's just words that uh, claim were normal words as opposed to words that were specialized or, or jargon. So I, I don't know. I haven't read enough of it to say because as I got into it, the one of the very first words in the very first chapter just jumped right out at me. Okay. And I'll, I'll put a link to this book. It's The full text is on Google Books. So That's amazing. But yeah, so one of the very first entries of the first chapter is the word aftermaths, which is plural and hyphenated. Hmm. Ray gives the definition as the pasture after the grass hath been mowed, oh. which I have never in my life heard before, that definition. But interestingly, the OED gives this as the first definition of aftermath, a second crop or new growth of grass after the first has been mowed or harvested. Wow. Merriam-Webster also lists this definition first, but American Heritage Dictionary puts it third. In fact, there's this thing called aftermath cheese, (laughs) which is cheese made of milk from cows that were fed on the aftermaths. That second crop (laughs) Is it supposed to be better or worse? It's supposedly richer in flavor than other cheeses. Fascinating. Definitely fascinated. I want to see if we can find this aftermath (laughs) cheese somewhere. I mean, who knew? (laughs) We're all about the cheese here. <laughs> That's right. Forget the words. Let's talk about cheese. New podcast idea. <laughs> Your new favorite cheese. <laughs> but isn't that cool? I mean, you know, maybe our listeners are already familiar with that definition of aftermath. I've never heard it. Maybe if I'd grown up in a more rural setting, I'd have encountered it, since apparently it's still used this way today. Maybe not so much in America, though. Maybe not. It might be more of a, a British-English thing. But hmm. but the only definition I've ever known is the figurative, figurative derivation of the first, that of a consequence or result of some event or action. And usually really like negative or exactly. something very intense happened, right? Yeah, it typically has a very negative con- connotation in the way that I've always used it. Yeah. But now that I knew, I had to ask, what is the etymology of this word? <laughs> How does aftermath have anything to do with mown grass? Yeah. So as suggested by the hyphenation of that entry in the Book of English Words, you've got after and math. And it's not the math of mathematics. (laughs) That math comes from a Greek root meaning to learn. This math is from Old English mev and means a mowing or cutting of grass. Okay. And it's related to the words mow and meadow. Wow. So, in fact, the OED has a rare English phrase, day's math, which refers to the area of land that can be mown by one person in a day. (laughs) And according to the OED, is sometimes used to approximate an acre. Wow. In regional speech, you'd hear it shortened to demath, D-E-M-A-T-H, as in (laughs) a five-demath field. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yes. So the OED also mentions the word undermath also quite rare, referring to an undergrowth of grass. 
The archetypical sentence given is, ferns grow in the tangled shady undermath of the banks and thickets. That's interesting. Like, I would wonder if it was related to mat, like matted. Same. That kind of idea. That was my first impression as well, but not at all. Wow. So I love how evocative that undermath idea is. It makes me want to try and fit math, that (laughs) word, in other places. Like, it seems very full of potential. Yes. So, but you know what delighted me the most of all of this? I got so lost in looking at the etymology and meaning of math that I almost overlooked the first part of the word, after. I mean, (laughs) it's a preposition. Yeah, it seems so basic, right? Surely there's no great secret lurking there. (laughs) I'm so glad I looked anyway. The word after is, per etym online, from Old English, after, with the same meaning as today. But the first part of the word is eif, meaning off, as in far off or away from. It's actually related to the word aft. So you have eif followed by ter, which was a comparative suffix in Old English, like er today. That is to say, eifter is more off. (laughs) So further away in time. Exactly. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. So when we say something is after, we're saying it's more aft. (laughs) That's further back or further away. It's more off. Fascinating. Isn't that great? Yes. So the lesson here is never assume you know what lies beneath the surface of a word. <laughs> the undermath. The undermath of the word. Yes. <laughs> it's perfect. More often than not, it'll surprise you. That's amazing. Yeah, that was that was a fun discovery. Yeah. Well, I know. I remember when our first child was quite young, just learning to eat. I remember making some kind of treat for him and he got it all over himself and we had to give him an after bath. (laughs) That's what I always think of when I hear the word aftermath. The after bath. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Sure. What have you got for us, Tessa? Well, to be honest, I had something in mind that I was going to do today. And then I heard from one of our loyal listeners who shared something interesting with me, and I decided to go that direction today instead. And so I'm going to save my other ideas for next week. So Feels you... like cheating somehow. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but this was really fun. I think you'll enjoy it. But you'll enjoy that too, and, but you'll have to wait another week for it. Darn. So Taylor, our loyal listener, sent me a, some information about the suffix gate used to denote a scandal involving something. Watergate. Right. So that's she hadn't heard of Watergate before, which was interesting. You realize that a lot of people might be too young to have heard much about that. So in the 1970s, early 1970s, there was a big scandal that took place in a building called Watergate in Washington, D.C., a complex of buildings that was the home of the national headquarters of the Democratic Party, And it was burglarized in 1972. And later, it was found to have been done by people that were working for the staff and re-election campaign of U.S. President Richard Nixon. And so Nixon is very much tied to this idea of Watergate, the Watergate scandal. But then just the name Watergate became associated with scandal. And then the suffix was borrowed from that and added to all sorts (laughs) of things to mean a scandal involving something else. But I'm going to back up from that just a little bit. I found some really interesting information about just the name Watergate itself. So a Watergate is a channel for water, as you might guess. And the Watergate complex itself 
was named after the Watergate area where symphony orchestra concerts were staged on the Potomac River between 1935 and 1965. So the audience sat on steps that lead from the river up to the Lincoln Memorial. And this was constructed that way because at the, at the time they had the idea that visiting dignitaries would ride in boats up to that place uh, okay. and they would walk up and see the Lincoln Memorial very first. That would be their introduction to Washington, D.C. But somehow that never materialized <laughs> in actual fact. And so somebody had the idea, why don't we host concerts on a barge in the river, and then the audience sits on the steps to listen. Okay. And if you're at all familiar with the classic movie Houseboat with Cary Grant and Sophia Loren, there is a concert in this movie that takes place at Watergate. Oh, and I did not know that. Yeah, so it's kind of a fun connection there. But in 1965, jets started flying into the National Airport over this area, and it became too loud to have a concert there. Oh, so they stopped bad. holding them there. And um, I'll put a link in the show notes to a page that talks about the history of this area. And it says that now the steps are mostly used by joggers. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So to get their exercise in. And then just another interesting thing from the entry in the OED about Watergate, meaning a channel for water, is that in Scottish, there was a phrase used in the 1700s. It's now obsolete to watch a person's water gate, a figurative meaning to watch them urinating, Oh, <laughs> um, which meant to wait until a person is at a disadvantage. <laughs> so the example said, this seems to refer to a man's turning his face to the wall for a certain purpose when an enemy might easily take his advantage. Oh. <laughs> so that might kind of lead us back in some way to <laughs> the other meaning of Watergate as a scandal. <laughs> Involving Richard Nixon. But as early as 1973, so the, the next year from Watergate breaking, gate was being added to other things to mean a scandal. And so the OED talks about different words that this was used with. So places, so Volga gate, meaning a scandal that took place in the USSR region of Volga. Dallas gate, Hollywood gate, Korea gate, Iran gate. These oh, wow. kind of examples. Um, it could refer to an organization or a person involved in a scandal. So Motorgate, referring to General Motors and some kind of scandal that happened there. Cartergate. Or they could be used and attached to a commodity or an activity that was related to the scandal, such as Winegate, Ice Creamgate, <laughs> Cattlegate, or a more recent conspiracy theory, Pizzagate, which you might be familiar yeah. with. So... There is a Wikipedia article that has a dynamic list of scandals that are named with gate, and I will put the link to that in the show notes as well. But some of them that I thought were fun in different ways or interesting or intriguing. So Skategate, just <laughs> like the naming of that, but that was a scandal with judging during the 2002 Winter Olympics. Okay. Toilet Gate. <laughs> this one made me laugh. 2006 World Chess Championship. One contestant was accused of visiting the toilet suspiciously frequently during games. <laughs> How dare they? He was cleared of that implication of cheating. And then Bin Gate. This one is especially close to my heart. This is from a 2014 episode of the Great British Baking Show, where one of the contestants threw a tantrum and pitched his failed dessert in the bin. 
leading to the term Bingate. He walked off the set, more like stormed off the set. He later returned for the judging, presented the trash bin to the judges. They couldn't taste it. He was eliminated (laughs) during that episode. So that was quite dramatic. And then Nutgate. This was also in 2014. A Korean Air Vice President was taking a flight on her own airline. She was dissatisfied with the way a flight attendant served her nuts on a plane. She ordered the aircraft to return to the gate before takeoff. So then we have gate. We should have called it gate gate. (laughs) Gate gate. And then dismissed the flight attendant and cabin crew chief. She was arrested two months later and charged with interfering with flight safety. And the crew members eventually returned to their positions. Wow. So drama in Korea over nuts on an airplane. Nut gate. That is nutty. (laughs) (laughs) So I would be interested in any listeners sharing their favorite use of the suffix gate. But one thing that I found super interesting about this is that the usage of gate has spread into languages other than English. Oh, really? Yes. So there are examples of gate being used to refer to local political scandals in countries such as Argentina, Germany, South Korea, (laughs) Hungary, Greece, and the former Yugoslavia. And... This is my favorite, my new favorite linguistic phenomenon, is that the term is used in Mandarin Chinese with the suffix mun, meaning door or gate. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So this is language change and borrowing at its finest. That's so great. This is what makes a linguist's heart sing. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm waiting to see for some scandal to break involving water so that we can come full circle and call it Watergate. (laughs) Keep our eyes out for that. <laughs> so this phenomenon, I feel like this is kind of related to the idea of a portmanteau where we mm-hmm. combine words together. It's more formally been called lexical word formation analog. So we, we create a new word formed using part of a, an existing word or a word forming element is extracted from another word and then added to other words. Some other interesting examples. More recently, the Benghazi scandal has led to some things having the suffix Ghazi added to the end of them to be a scandal. And then one that's been around since probably the mid-50s is aholic. Yes. Uh, From the word alcoholic, but then taking that weird chunk of the word, not just the suffix ik, but the aholic, and tacking that onto anything meaning a person who's addicted to X. Workaholic. Right, sugarholic. All sorts of things. So these, these are fascinating. So yeah. if you have any other examples, listeners, of suffixes that have been added to things like this, we would love to hear about them. That's great, Tessa. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks to Taylor for bringing that to yes. my attention. Thank you, Taylor. And thanks again to everyone tuning in. I've said it before, we do this podcast because we love words. And thank you, Taylor, because we love to hear any words or phrases that make you think or smile. Please send them our way. We're at ynfw at jamesbuck.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash your new favorite word. Drop us a line anytime. We always want to know what's your new favorite word.